ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome aboard our vessel again, and anew, as our crew prepares to take off and take you with us on yet another exciting voyage beyond the matrix of this world. This is Raphael, and I'll be your captain and tour guide for the next hour, and in just a moment we'll be piercing past the lies of illusion that intends to gate our consciousness in away from the issues of climate engineering and other shady government cover-ups, and their worldwide web of lies and mind control that veils and binds these issues around the globalist conspiracies and agendas that steadily approaches and encroaches while the rest of humanity slumbers. But some, such as yourselves, are awake and rising. Passengers, prepare to rise above these veils of deception and hazy skies. Prepare for your ascent beyond the veil. Oh, and you might want to buckle up. It's gonna be a bumpy ride. reached cruising altitude. Before we go deeper into our exploration of climate engineering and other shady cover-ups that accompany this vast expanse, let us review briefly where we've been, what territories we've explored in our previous voyages with yours truly, shall we? We've been behind the scenes of the American Meteorological Society, exposing how the shared belief that Geoengineering is not currently going on among the meteorologists attending is based on a set of lies sprung forth out of the same songbook everyone is reciting from. We have shown and flown past the World Meteorological Organization's own reporting of weather modification and shown how gravely inconsistent and inaccurate it is in reporting the full breadth and depth of climate engineering worldwide and locally, overt and covert. We exposed some mind control history and shared some of its roots and limbs, briefly touching on secret societies and ancient mystery religions still in operation covertly today. We explained chemtrails versus geoengineering and showed their consequences to life on Earth, hearing also from whistleblowers and leading activists within the growing anti-chemtrail geoengineering movement and learn some of what was at stake environmentally and health-wise. Now, let us dive deeper into other technologies involved in climate engineering. The electromagnetic component, as well as the new technologies involved slowly replacing or being used in conjunction with chemtrails, chem bombs, and or other methods of artificial cloud creation, if this is your first trip with us and you feel overwhelmingly lost, you may be wondering why all this focus on clouds. Isn't CO2 the big deal when it comes to climate change? That is what present-day mainstream rhetoric states, but here's a little bit of NASA research that makes a very interesting claim that is to this day understated and rarely, if ever, heard of. Quote, 
Even small changes in the abundance or location of clouds could change the climate more than the anticipated changes caused by greenhouse gases, human-produced aerosols, and other factors associated with global change. NASA. So then exactly what does electromagnetism have to do with all of this? Well, first of all, besides being potential seeding agent, metallic aerosols increase the atmosphere's conductivity and has many military applications as well as geoengineering capabilities. Secondly, chemically laden clouds can be electrically stimulated and thus moved around through the proper application of microwave technology. Not only do we have radar evidence of this technology happening from laymen who've captured it over the last few years, but we do have evidence of this being used all the way through the Great Flood of Louisiana of 2016. Could the Louisiana storm have been avoided using weather modification technology? We'll explore that and other technologies that are slowly coming to be used in conjunction with and starting to replace the chemtrails and geoengineering we have been seeing in our skies for the last few years with increasing occurrence. Bernard Eastland is a plasma physicist, former fusion researcher for the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission and inventor who has three weather control patents. Eastland's speciality is revolutionary mechanisms of energy transfer. That was exactly the reason that the Atlantic Richfield Oil Company approached him with a unique problem to solve. I was originally hired by ARCO in about 1984 to find a use of their natural gas on the north slope of Alaska. They have 23 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. To put this in perspective, that's enough gas to power the entire American electrical grid for one year. But its location was so remote, there was no economically feasible way to transport it. Dr. Eastland had been contracted with them to find a way to exploit the natural gas on the North Slope. In other words, to convert natural gas um, to money, <laughs> but first to turn it to electricity and then radio frequency energy. I came up with the idea of using the energy in the gas to make electricity and to use the electricity to power a large phased array antenna that could modify the ionosphere in different ways. Eastland's massive antenna array was called HARP, the High Frequency Active Oral Research Project. The claims being made about the technology were such that I really, it was almost unbelievable. Although the HARP antenna array looks unremarkable, its capabilities are not. HARP is one of the few man-made devices capable of heating the Earth's ionosphere. The ionosphere is an enveloping layer of charged particles located 145 kilometers above the surface of the Earth. The charged particles in the ionosphere perform an important function for the planet. They deflect and absorb the solar wind, the toxic onslaught of deadly particles thrown at us by the sun. Without the ionosphere, life as we know it on Earth would perish. Eastland's plan was to pump energy derived from natural gas directly into the ionosphere. The stated goal was communications research. Arco immediately understood the genius in Eastland's idea, and thanks to his patent, they were contracted by the U.S. military to build this incredible device. 
it's a very good research facility. Uh, it's minuscule compared to the size of antenna I suggested in my patents. However, it's the first piece of what could become something bigger. But even in its current incarnation, it's the largest ionospheric heater in the world, capable of heating a 1,000 square kilometer area of the ionosphere to over 50,000 degrees. It's also a phased array, which means it's steerable and it can point where it wants to point. You can make those waves go where you want. What they have found is that by sending radio frequency energy up and focusing it as they do with, with these kinds of instruments, it causes a heating effect. And that heating literally lifts the ionosphere within a 30-mile uh, diameter area. They're in changing localized pressure systems or perhaps the route of jet streams. The idea of mod moving a jet stream is a phenomenal um, uh, event in terms of man being able to do this. The problem is we cannot model the system adequately. Long-term consequences of ionospheric heating are unknown. Changing weather in one place can have a devastating downstream effect. And HARP has already been accused of modifying the weather. An article in Scientific American pointed out that a strange shift in the jet stream directly over Gakona, Alaska pushed colder air southward causing a rare tornado outbreak in Florida. As a weapon of war, Harp's possible uses are daunting. Think about a 100,000-person army and your opposition, and say you could hit them with flooding rains and horrible conditions in terms of weather for several weeks, maybe months. You can degrade their ability to perform in the battlefield. Harp has other implications as a multi-purpose weapon. Using ionospheric manipulation, it could disrupt enemy radio and cellular communication. It could even be used to sense, differentiate, and directly destroy enemy missiles. That's where war is headed in the 21st century. That's where these systems are headed in the 21st century. Harp's potential role as a secret weapon of war has long been known in military circles. Numerous countries have lodged complaints against its use pointing to it as an obvious violation of the treaty outlawing environmental modification for weapons applications. The last three secretaries of defense have all called for the um, elimination, the dropping of this environmental treaty. This treaty was well thought out in the early 70s, ratified by our Congress in 78. That treaty needs to stay in effect. Through all of the controversy, Harp scientists have maintained that the array is intended only for pure research and that it has nowhere near the power necessary to truly change the weather. However, as the results would be classified anyway, the jury is still out. Well, that's great, but didn't they shut down the Harp facility a few years ago? I mean, doesn't that show that Harp wasn't really that pivotal? in affecting some of the more drastic climate change events that we've seen. Otherwise, we, we would have seen a cessation or a drop in extreme weather after the shutdown of the facility. Didn't I hear something about it being shut down? I wanted to ask a, a question, a couple questions here about HARP, the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program. Uh, several of you at the table have a little bit of a piece here 
As you know, this is located up in Alaska. It's currently funded by the Air Force Research Lab. It was formerly funded by the Office of Naval Research. One of the prime customers is DARPA, uh, which is currently running experiments at the facilities here. So uh, questions to, to several of you this morning. I'm told by the president of the University of Alaska that the Air Force has pulled its support for the facility and they're taking steps to, uh, to demolish it or take it down uh, this summer. He's making the argument that, uh, that there is other opportunities for us and uh, is trying to find a path where the university might be able to take title to the facility. I'd, I'd like to start with you, Dr. Prabhakar. I understand that um, a lot of folks here on the committee probably don't understand what HARP does. I think most Alaskans don't really know what HARP does or why the agency is involved in it. Uh, so a very brief explanation and then a more direct question. Would you be disappointed or would you lose something if, if HARP were to go away? Uh, Senator Markowski, as, as I think you know, uh, one of our programs has been using the HARP facility for the research that, that uh, it's pursuing. Uh, and my understanding is that we did get value out of that interaction. Um, the, the P in DARPA is projects, and uh, we're not in the business of doing the same thing forever. And so very naturally, as we conclude that work, uh, we're going to move on to other topics. So I, it's not, a, it's not a, uh, an ongoing need uh, for DARPA, despite the fact that we had actually gotten some good value out of the, the, that infrastructure in the past. Understood. Then... To, to uh, Dr. Walker and, and Mr. Schaefer then, it, Dr. Walker, your agency is currently running the facility. Um, uh, I've mentioned that it's our understanding through the president of UAF that, that the plans are to move forward and, and demolish the facility this summer. So the question to you is, is that accurate? Can you explain why? And then uh, perhaps to both you and Mr. Schaefer, is there any benefit in exploring a potential relationship with the University uh, of Alaska to, to perhaps take over the heart? Yeah, thank you, Senator. It, the Air Force has uh, gotten great value out of HARP in the past. We, we took over from the Navy and managed it and actually did a number of uh, experiment campaigns up there and uh, have finished our, our work that we're interested in doing up there. We've uh, Moving on to other ways of uh, managing the ionosphere, which the HARP was really designed to do, was to inject energy into the ionosphere, be able to actually control it. And, uh, but that work is, has been completed. <laughs> Moving on to other ways of uh, managing the ionosphere, which the HARP was really designed to do, was to inject energy into the ionosphere, be able to actually control it. And, uh, but that work is, has been completed. Uh Did you all catch that? other ways of managing the ionosphere. Now, if that doesn't bring a few questions to mind right off the bat, I don't know what will. Like, for instance, the first one would be, why would we need to manage the ionosphere? But this is just a, a given statement that actually doesn't have a lot of... Uh, doesn't get a lot of attention. It's just they move on to another part of that, justifying the expenses of keeping it open, who's going to finance it, 
as usual if the Department of Defense or the military doesn't weaponize some of the research. Uh, there's not a lot of funding for it for the people. And here we have historical um, documentation on the intent to use weather as a weapon owning the weather, and then the earlier predecessor to that was SpaceCast 2020, which lays out a whole bunch of different things. Uh, one of them, the system of orbital mirrors for redirecting terrestrial clouds. The Nazis, too, had a sun gun they wanted to put out in space, a mirror that they could just point, like a little kid points his magnifying glass on an ant and burns it up. They wanted to do that with cities. And who knows what NASA's been really doing up there. That's open for debate. But Secretary of Defense back in 1997 said others are engaging even in an ecotype of terrorism whereby they can alter the climate, set off earthquakes, volcanoes remotely through the use of electromagnetic waves. Now, one thing the, the clip from the documentary we showed earlier failed to mention was the other uses of HARP. One of the things uh, it gets credited for is its ability to provoke an earthquake by sending pulsed electromagnetic waves to the core. They can create a turbulence which is measurable and there have been reports of uh, earthquakes following turbulence to the magnetic core and even Tesla and his experiments with alternating current uh, discovered there were claims of earthquakes and disturbances in the geosphere. Now, another thing that they do use it for is topography. They are able to map the resources of the Earth by sending around the different frequencies and seeing what bounces back, what minerals there are available. So it has been a very valuable tool in mapping the Earth's resources as well letting them know where they need to go and exploit what, how much there is. Uh, HARP has been useful in all sorts of capacities. It's also credited for the ability to induce states, emotional states, uh, such as the, the frequency of anger was cited as being used on, the, uh, on LA leading up to the LA riots. And um, up in Baton Rouge, leading up to the racial tensions and uh, police shootings and all that, people were saying, people that I know personally up in Baton Rouge were saying that they felt this like oppressive energy that lifted off of them as soon as they left the city. And I've heard this from more than one person. So is this a tool of the elites or some variation thereof? to further some political agenda or create racial tensions or accentuate racial tensions. Another interesting point of note in this quote by Secretary of Defense William Cohen back in 1997 again is that it assumes that others have use of this phenomenal technology that the United States and the Department of Defense does not. Keeping in mind that we are the largest industrial military complex of the world. We have the combined budget of the rest of the world's armies. These are national 
yearly budget allotment. History is full of examples of great men citing the significance of weather control to the future of this country, as well as the potential for silent weather warfare that could come out of it. We shall propose further cooperative efforts between all nations in weather prediction and eventually in weather control. President John F. Kennedy, September 25th, 1961. Technology will make available to the leaders of major nations techniques for conducting secret warfare, of which only a bare minimum of the security forces need be appraised. Techniques of weather modification could be employed to produce prolonged periods of drought or storm. Zbigniew Brzezinski CFR member, founding member of the Trilateral Commission, National Security Advisor to five U.S. Presidents, 1970, in between two agents. Control of space means control of the world. From space, the masters of infinity would have the power to control the Earth's weather, to cause drought and flood, to change the tides and raise the levels of the sea, to divert the Gulf Stream and change the climates to frigid. There is something more important than the ultimate weapon. Lyndon B. Johnson, 1958. So without going much further into a history lesson, we can see that the intention for the manipulation of the atmosphere and space has been very desired, very sought after, very seriously considered in the past by many great leaders. And we are certainly seeing the changes to our skies reflecting these new technological landmarks seeing cloud formations we've never seen before at least in our regions at least in our lifetime the evidence of this technology being used is everywhere more and more and at the same time it is being normalized we are being given uh, new names for clouds by NASA, who had a new cloud list come out a few years ago, back in uh, 2008 or 2010. But nothing can really do justice to the phenomena we're seeing, both with our eyes and as accidental feedback on radar. And because of these signature key thumbprints, we are seeing Laymen are able to detect other technology employed. Regardless of HARP, there are many HARP facilities in the world, but there are other means of stimulating our atmosphere electronically. Next rad, weather control, tornado creation 101. Moore, Oklahoma, May 20th, 2013. Weather Wars 101. The artificial tornado season begins. We begin with breaking news in North Texas where at least six people have died when a tornado touched down. Firefighters using flashlights are now going house to house looking for anyone still trapped. ABC's Jim Ryan reports from the hard hit town of Granbury. This storm rolled in from the southwest and tornado sirens started blaring just before sunset. 
Witnesses say pea-sized hail soon turned to baseball-sized. And then hailstones the size of grapefruit were pounding a subdivision near the town of Granbury, not far from Fort Worth. Rancho Brazos is a subdivision of Hood County that's south of Granbury, about, about three miles, by the way the crow flies out there, I guess. And it was, there's about 110 homes in that residential area. I've been told that most all of that is in heavy damage to totally destroyed conditions out there. As paramedics were rushing into the area to treat dozens of injuries, school buses were pulling away, taking evacuees to churches that have been turned into shelters. Those people are telling stories of an extremely intense rain-wrapped tornado that's done extensive damage to neighborhoods. It's been a devastating year so far, and things now with the weather coming around with tornado season, it's, it, this particular night is not anything like I've ever seen. Even as rescue operations were getting underway, another storm was forming on the outskirts of town, prompting new severe weather warnings. Jim Ryan. New warnings for the middle of the country. More tornadoes expected across the Midwest, all the way from Texas to Michigan. Those pictures are remarkable, Sam. I mean, and this is happening everywhere. Yeah, it will be by, by the weekend. We're looking into Saturday, Sunday, and we're going to even show you how it lasts into Monday. Amy, when you see things like this, we've had a very quiet tornado season. We've had so much cold air in place in the country. And so now we get those warmer temperatures. And here goes the tornado season. I do want to mention briefly that Granbury, uh, the National National Weather Service has been looking into this. These are preliminary reports. When you see something like this, this is the foundation of a house, and this isn't after someone came in and cleaned it up. This is right after the storm. The house taken off the foundation. So when you see something like this, and we saw it yesterday when we were talking in the office, this looks like the damage of an EF4, and indeed the uh, Weather Service has said it probably is anywhere from 166 to 200 miles per hour. It's a devastating storm. They're talking about the dead or the bodies being found inside houses and outside, thrown out outside houses. Oh my god. Look at this right above us. Holy one tornado would have been painful enough, but this morning the National Weather Service confirms that there were 16 of them tearing through northern Texas Wednesday, including this EF4 monster with winds up to 200 miles an hour. I was screaming, oh my God, it, Crazy. It, it's over, you know, we're gone. From the sky, the aftermath is even more heartbreaking. This was Granbury, Texas before the disaster. Blocks of homes, many of them built by Habitat for Humanity for families in need. This morning, this is what's left. Piles of rubble, shattered walls, and shattered dreams. Oh my gosh! The door just like shaking, 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 shaking really bad. From the street, it's even more disheartening. Family cars tossed around like Hot Wheels. Windows exploded into flying daggers. And this morning, nearly 3,500 homes and businesses here are still without power. In Cleburne, weather officials now think it was an EF3 that cut a second path of destruction half a mile wide. Across this state, many of those who lost their homes now so thankful they didn't lose their lives. My cars are gone, my house is gone, but my children are here and we're okay. How tornadoes form. One, air rotates because of wind shear. Winds at two different altitudes below at two different speeds creating wind shear. For example, a wind at 1,000 feet above the surface might blow at 5 miles per hour, and a wind at 5,000 feet might blow at 25 miles per hour. This causes a horizontal 
rotating column of air. Two, faster spin makes a funnel cloud. If this column gets caught in a supercell updraft, the updraft tightens the spin and it speeds up much like a skater spins faster when arms are pulled closer to the body. A funnel cloud is created. The funnel rotates and touches down. The rain and hail in the thunderstorm causes the funnel to touch down, creating a tornado. How tornadoes are created. Heavy metal nanoparticles, aluminum, barium, strontium, titanium, cadmium, chromium, copper, nickel, iron, zinc. The single most fundamental component of daily weather control is the NEXRAD WSR-88D, Weather Surveillance Radar, 1988 Doppler, and its equivalent Doppler radar worldwide. These extremely powerful stations, evenly spaced across each continent, provide pulsed rotating frequency on varying angles, which is the foundation of current weather manipulation. NEXRAD Power Supply Transmitter, KLYSTRON. A NEXRAD site consumes approximately 50.8 kilowatts of energy that includes the air conditioners and or heaters to control the temperature of the hardware. The transmitter itself takes 15 kilowatts, roughly the same amount as 13 clothes sirens. Although a NEXRAD site consumes about 50.8 kilowatts of power, the Klystron is a special unit responsible for converting standard commercial power to the 750,000 watts of coherent energy that is transmitted in each pulse. The peak effective power is 750 kilowatts. However, the transmitter is only supposed to be active between 0.05% and 6.1% of the time. The radar is only supposed to be transmitting for about 7 seconds out of each hour, or 0.19% of the time. Frequency has little effect on pure air. In order for pulsed rotating frequency generated by nationwide NEXRAD to have an effect, something has to be present in the air for the frequency to act on. Insurmountable and undeniable evidence abounds worldwide of a decade of aluminum, barium, strontium, titanium, cadmium, chromium, copper, nickel, iron, and zinc heavy metal nanoparticles, as well as a host of other horrendous and horrifying components being steadily dumped in our atmosphere, and is verified by NOAA studies pointing to an unexplained doubling of aerosols in the last 10 years. I won't spend one second debating the source. We all witness daily.
air and water full of heavy metal particles can be manipulated by powerful and opposing rings of pulsed rotating frequency to create extremely violent weather conditions, as has been demonstrated by 60 tornadoes in four days, including the F5 in Moore, Oklahoma that was a mile wide, with a two mile wide debris field, and remained on the ground for 40 minutes. The effects of an X-rad pulsed rotating frequency can be observed on most radar sites, even sanitized ones. One early but still glaring example of this was the week of manufactured storm systems that produced an F-5 tornado in Joplin, Missouri. Concentrated storm system before intersecting NEXRAD pulsed rotating frequency rings. Storm system intersects NEXRAD pulsing rotating frequency rings generated by stations KSGF and KEAX. Storm system intersects NEXRAD pulsed rotating frequency rings generated by stations KVNX and KICT. Storm system intersects NEXRAD pulsed rotating frequency rings generated by stations KTWX and KSRX. Storm system intersects NEXRAD pulsed rotating frequency rings generated by stations KTLX and KSGF. Storm system intersects NEXRAD pulsed rotating frequency ring generated by station KINX. The storm visibly divides along the frequency ring parameters. Numerous NEXRAD stations generating pulsed rotating frequency at different elevations creates the massive widespread wind shear necessary to spawn dozens of tornadoes simultaneously. was Joplin, as Radar called it that day. This is precisely how the 60 tornadoes were generated this weekend, including the F5 in Moore, Oklahoma. According to the video of this timeline, you can clearly see the boundaries of the next rad stations metallic clouds responding 
to the stimulation accordingly. On most sanitized radar sites, these NEXRAD pulse frequency rings show up simply as green rings. However, it is also possible to observe the actual pulsed rotating frequency. In this example, the actual formation of frequency scoops is clearly visible, which illustrates how these pulses spin up these heavy metal nano cloud systems into the huge vortexes that we now see all but daily. These land hurricanes. The floods began during torrential rains on Friday, and many homes and businesses are still underwater. Governor John Bell Edwards has stated that at least 40,000 homes have water damage and even as some parts of Louisiana are starting to enter recovery mode, others are preparing for yet more flooding. Okay, today is August 18th, 2016, taking a look at the engineered flood catastrophe in Louisiana. Let's first get a look at the GOES-13 satellite loop that starts on August the 12th at about 11.15 UTC and ends two days later on August the 14th at 11.15 UTC. On 813 at 0100 UTC we see large volume aerosols injected over the Gulf at cirrus level in the opposite direction to the clockwise flow. It happens again on the same day at about 1700 UTC and in both cases the large volume aerosol deployments are from south to north but once released the aerosols are carried by the dominant north-south flow making these deployments easy to detect as tanker or cargo aircraft. Spraying aerosols at the eastern periphery is one way to inhibit rainfall over oil drilling and marine assets in the Gulf of Mexico while transmitters energize the moisture laden aerosols to release historic flooding over the targeted areas of Louisiana. Next, uh, let's take a look at the Worldview medium resolution satellites to get a look at the massive aerosol dumps involved in what the media is reporting as a thousand year flood in Louisiana. This rain system was initially parked in the eastern Gulf of Mexico for a few days, bringing several inches of rain to western Florida. Notice the aerosol dumps and tendrils on this August 6th satellite image. The system then began to move westward until it became stationary and began flooding Louisiana with engineered water bombs on Friday, August 12th. Notice how the Aqua and Sumi satellites reveal the tendrils in these large volume aerosol dumps. Then on August the 13th, we see several north-south elongated dumps and more intense large volume aerosol spraying in the Gulf.
On August the 14th, the system is diminished along with the aerosols over Louisiana. But looking northward, we see a long train of aerosols that continue to the northeast and into the Great Lakes region. Now let's listen to an excellent report from the analyst at Pacific Redwood. All right, today is August the 13th. All right, so we are now watching the Gulf of Mexico, that giant unnamed storm that was uh, parked over Louisiana for a day and a half right here. This has moved over uh, eastern Texas. We can see uh, that uh, it has moved. Uh, the storm is being hit. We've got uh, a visible light image we can show uh, showing the uh, photoshopping overlay uh, right here on those last frames. The storm is being hit. They're trying to uh, cover their tracks by uh, using photoshopping overlay. Uh, but we can see the blast pattern right here. Watch the very tail end of this loop right there. We see a huge plume uh, flying out uh, towards the uh, southeast uh, right there. The last couple of frames. Let's go back to the uh, water vapor map and we can see that there's a general clockwise a rotation happening right here that's because there is high pressure installed right over the top of this system and we can see some of that right here on the uh, northeast side of that storm which is probably uh, there to push this thing away but we've got also here is a, a low pressure a vortex here trying to spin counterclockwise uh, this system has a uh, this vortex has a transmitter on that we can see the uh, dark area and that is uh, engineered to uh, produce descending air and to prevent this uh, area from developing into a hurricane, which would happen very quickly over these 85 to 88 degree uh, waters right here in the Gulf of Mexico. Let's take a look at this in the uh, rainbow loop. <clears throat> we can see that the core is uh, targeted. The uh, system rebuilds itself after uh, it is hit with microwave. The system becomes disorganized and it rebuilds. But uh, if they wanted to, that is the weather controllers, the terrorists uh, controlling our weather, if they wanted to completely wipe that storm out, they could. Uh, we've seen uh, hurricane after hurricane destroyed with microwave, and, and they are much bigger and much lower pressure than this uh, little unnamed storm here. So uh, there, there was a reason why that system was parked over Louisiana for a day and a half. Let's go ahead and take a look at the... Uh, some of the rain totals for Louisiana right now, the last 24 hours. This is truly incredible information, these numbers. 31.39 inches near Watson, Louisiana. Now, I don't know where that is, but uh, Livingston Parish, that's probably down in the New Orleans, New Orleans area. Uh, anyhow, let's take a look at these. We've got 27.47 inches at, at, Browns, at Brownfields, Louisiana. We've got 26.26 inches right here in uh, Monticello, I guess it is, or Louisiana. 22.84 uh, inches in Gloucester, Mississippi. 21.5 inches of rain in Jackson, Louisiana. Now this this is just amazing. You know, California last this last season, ending uh, June 30th, had about uh, 15 inches of rain this last season. The season before we had 
about seven and three quarter inches. We had less than eight inches of rain for the entire year. The season before last, the season before that, three seasons ago, we had about not quite seven inches. We had six and three quarter inches of rain for the entire year in California and Los Angeles. Okay. Last year, as I mentioned, about 15 inches of rain. So they are, uh, these weather terrorists know that uh, we are onto them and they're changing their game plan a little bit. And uh, it looks like New Orleans and Louisiana, those guys, uh, they got to understand uh, what's going on here. This was no accident. And uh, you can see the blast pattern, photoshopping. Why is that being photoshopped? Well, it's because they don't want us to see what's going on under that overlay, which is a microwave transmitters hitting that system, which proves weather manipulation. Uh, but uh, the, the, the other side of this coin tonight is that uh, this could have easily been destroyed, as we saw with a 200 mile per hour uh, Hurricane uh, Patricia last season and many other hurricanes. That was easy to destroy. They could have easily wiped this system out, but uh, they decided not to for whatever reason. There may be uh, futures, weather futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the Chicago Climate Exchange, weather derivatives being traded may have something to do with that. Fueling the storm systems. Precipitation generation. Sources for superheated artificial precipitation are abundant across the country and are, without any question, in continuous use to fuel these massive storm systems. Remember when you were a child and the rain smelled fresh and clean and everything was refreshed and anew after a rainfall? wonder why rainfall now smells like the inside of a factory smokestack? These artificial precipitation sources are easily observable in advance of and in process of these massive storm systems. This is Dabu7, and I want to share with you here some footage that is pretty compelling. This is in regards to the Louisiana flooding that took place. Now, we also had the mayor come out and say that a lot of the flooding was man-made, but I want you to pay attention to these spots where you see these plumes coming up, and also pay attention to the time. And watch how it grows and how it affects the weather. You see how these pop off? These pop off at the exact same time, these areas, within minutes of each other, coming out of all these regions. Now, at the heart of all this, you can see that there are power plants. And what easier way to inject the atmosphere with whatever you want to inject it with than to do so from these massive plumes at these power plants? of which we have no real idea what is coming out of those smokestacks. 
Now, what is really interesting here, and Western Canada Ghost Satellite took some time to painstakingly assemble all of this together and to point all of this out. And he sent it to me and was like, check this out. And I have to say, what it shows is that many of the plumes are being released at the same time, timed out, and then they'll go dead. And then they'll kick back up in the heart of these same areas, producing more. You can see here, again, and then it starts to bleed out. It's more and more and more. You can see here, it begins again. All of this happening at the same time. Hitting the atmosphere. So in terms of geoengineering and manipulating the weather, it does look like these plumes coming from the power plants are affecting the weather. You can see it right here. Once the plumes take off, this is the end result. The whole area covered with this here. And this is mixing in with the clouds. And if it has the right chemicals, it can produce copious amounts of rain. So I thought it was really interesting here to see this in motion. And let me take it back here. And I'll leave a link so you guys can watch this whole thing as it unfolds take it back to the beginning here and make sure to subscribe to his channel over here with the work but you can see these areas right there and you just start to see that where all these plumes start to pop up from are in these areas right here right here approximate I mean look at it look at this it's definitely affecting the weather so I guess now I guess the mission would be to try to get some for sure tests on the emissions the stuff that's coming out of these power plants because if it is laced with cloud seeded technology or anything to make it rain they could literally be doing this and the one thing that this does prove as you can see the time running here is that many of these plumes are being let off at the exact same times meaning that it's orchestrated very interesting, if you ask me. It's been Dabu 7. Coordinated water vapor release. Simultaneous multi-factory involvement. That's a conspiracy so magnanimous. Even I can't go on board with that, Raphael. Look, you're just building castles in the sky. You're creating one reality on top of another reality, and they're all false. They're, they're, look, they're not even chemtrails. They're just... They're persistent contrails already. Persistent contrails? Are you sure? Because according to our hands-on research and testing, they were definitely not 
persistent contrails. July the 7th, 11.50 a.m., Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We have one trail amongst uh, natural-looking cumulus clouds. So uh, I'm dubious about this one, especially considering the altitude just does not look like a persistent contrail could persist. But we'll check the sounding data. Okay, what we're looking at here is the Appleman chart, which is developed by a guy named, I think, George Appleman. And it's a, a graph of the conditions that are necessary for contrails, either persistent or temporary. And uh, reading across the bottom, you can see that there is temperature in Celsius, and anything below the 38, minus 38, degrees Celsius, contrails cannot exist. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, both uh, temperature and humidity needs to be within a certain range, which is minus 38 for the temperature Celsius and 60% relative humidity. And uh, you can compare any, any sounding data to this and get a quick visual check and see that uh, According to this chart, which is used by the military, NASA, et al., to uh, predict contrail formation, it's all, it's all pretty self-evident. Persistent contrails are very, the conditions for persistent contrails exist very, very rarely. Okay, we're looking at sounding data for 12 Zulu. Uh, Universal Time, uh, July the 7th, 2016, from the uh, LIX Slidell Muni atmospheric sounding data. If we go down here to the very bottom of this screen capture, uh, we're looking at columns 2, 3, and 5. Column 2 is the altitude. 4,595 meters, which is a, pro a little bit over 15,000 feet. The second number is the temperature in Celsius, 0.6, and then the fifth column is the relative humidity at that altitude, which is 71%. The general rule of thumb is that for a contrail to persist, it needs to be a temperature of at least minus 38 degrees Celsius and 60% relative humidity. Both of those conditions need to be satisfied, which is clearly not the case for this altitude. Continuing with the sounding data for July the 7th, uh, we're now looking at the top of the image, uh, altitude 9144 which is 30,000 feet. This is the uh, normal minimum altitude that uh, commercial airliners fly in from 30 uh, to 40,000 feet, roughly. So we see here, column number three uh, is the temperature, minus 27.8 Celsius, and column five is 37% humidity at that altitude. So once again, the conditions for consistent contrail uh, do not exist there. So we're going to scroll down to 
36,000 feet, so hold on. Once again, uh, we're looking at 36,000 feet, which is 10,972.8 meters, which this sounding is doesn't have that exact altitude. So we're going to go with the uh, 10,990. So at 10,990, 36,000 feet, we have minus 41.9 degrees Celsius, and column five is the relative humidity of 29%. So once again, the conditions do not exist at that altitude for a persistent contrail. Finally, we're looking at approximately 40,000 feet, which is 12,192 meters, which uh, that exact reading isn't here, so we're going with the 12,460 meters. And column two is the temperature in Celsius, minus 53.7. Cold enough for a persistent contrail, absolutely. But column number five sho uh, shows that we have 37% relative humidity, which is much too dry for a con consistent contrail to persist. So the general conclusion for today, today's conditions from 15,000 to 40,000 feet approximately, conditions do not exist for a persistent contrail. And one last bit of uh, corroborating evidence is this is a commercial airline of traffic uh, from Flight Radar 24, and this screen capture was taken. Uh, just a few minutes after videoing the uh, contrail, which, which by the way, ran from east to west, or west to east. And we can see that there in Baton Rouge, mm, perhaps one flight. Uh, I really kind of doubt it because I was looking south. So no, though, no, no, no. I was looking south, so there was no commercial airliner traffic in the air at that time, which means it's military. Massive amount of cloud creation. Even small changes in the location and abundance of clouds can alter the weather more than greenhouse gases and other factors attributed with global change. NASA, what are you going to do about that? Power plants and other industry. What, what kind of industry is that? Chemical industry. Chemical industry. Creating climate change. CO2 ain't that big a deal. Clouds, my friends. Clouds. Pay attention to them. We're on O'Neill Lane. This is the neighborhood behind us. Look at the cars. Wow, everything is flooded. Everything is flooded. Wow. Oh my gosh, those cars in Walmart are underwater. That means the water is in Walmart.
That means the water is in Walmart. Look at this. Look at these people's cars. 